Domines Vobiscum, Lexio Sancti Evangelii, Secundo Matteum. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirty-fold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The disciples approached him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He said to them in reply, Because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. To anyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. From anyone who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because they look, but do not see, and hear, but do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You shall indeed hear, but not understand. You shall indeed look, but never see. Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted, and I heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see in your ears, because they hear. Amen, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. The seed sown on the path is the one who hears the word of the kingdom without understanding it, and the evil one comes and steals away what was sown in his heart. The seed sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it at once with joy, but he has no root and lasts only for a time. When some tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but then worldly anxiety and the lure of riches chokes choke the word and it bears no fruit, but the seed sown on rich soil is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. Verbum Domini. Please take a moment. Make sure your cell phone is turned off. Apaganos telefonos adelares, por favor. Please open your bulletin to page 5. On page 5, you see July 16th is the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Um, the Carmelite sisters, or the, the habit of the Carmelite sisters, 
you can see it there, right at the back wall. That's a St. Therese of Lisieux. She's there in the corner. Many times I was sent to the corner for being bad. She's in the corner because she was very good. Um, St. Therese was a Carmelite sister, so that's the habit of the sisters of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. July 16th is the feast of their patroness. Uh, Look at Thursday, July 17th. Today is the feast of the blessed Carmelite sisters who were killed by order of the French Revolution, the 16 Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. Uh, St. Therese lived just north of Paris, and Compiègne was just east of Paris, the way Greenville is east of Dallas. Compiègne was um, um, east of Paris, and those sisters are mentioned on the cover of the bulletin. I'll be talking more about them. Look on page 6 and 7. If you hold them open at the same time, look on page 6, and you see number 40. Now, these intentions are great things to look at um, after Holy Communion. Um, Look at number 40. It's been there a while. For a peaceful and serene reception of Pope Benedict's uh, motu proprio of July 7th, 2007, Sumorum Pontificum. Now look over on page 7, and you see happy anniversary. Happy 7th anniversary to Pope Emeritus Benedict. Of course, he's very happy today because the Germans beat the Argentinians in soccer. Uh, Over a period of, what, nine days, they scored one goal. Um, Something like that. Anyway, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Anyway, Sumorum Pontificum was uh, published um, on 7707, so seven years ago. And uh, if you'd like to read the document itself, um, you can go to vatican.va and read Sumorum Pontificum. Um, The Holy Father uh, unleashed the Old Mass in a beautiful way. Um, Tremendous graces. Um, to have these two masses side by side, as it were. Page 8, I'll come back to page 8, um, but look on page 10. This is the month of the most precious blood of Jesus. So there's the litany of the most precious blood of Jesus. And pages 11, 12, and 13. Let's focus on page 13. There at the bottom. One, two, three paragraphs from the bottom. I mentioned there the statues that are carried each night in procession. First, we have the statue of Our Lady of Fatima with the blue mantle. Then the statue of St. Joseph and the baby Jesus. Why? Because these images appeared to the three children and the 70,000, over 70,000 witnesses were there. But the the children saw Our Lady of Fatima with the blue mantle, St. Joseph and the baby Jesus. I left her out. We also have a statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel with the baby Jesus. And then a statue of St. Francis and, and an image of Our Lady Guadalupe. So you might reread those three pages because today is the um, anniversary of the third visit, the third apparition of Our Lady um, of Fatima to those children, um, ages 10, 9, and 7 in Portugal. Um, first May 13th, then June 13th, then July 13th. Can you imagine three children on their own remembering something like that? That's amazing. Talk about God's grace. <laughs> they had to be somewhere, and they were there on their, on their own uh, abilities. That's amazing. So I'll talk more about that later. But look at page 14. I finally wrote something down. The last two weekends I've been talking about this. So I wrote something down 
And um, but I've got to give. Um, um, some people have been uh, on vacation for six weeks. Some people have been on vacation for four weeks. So this is all brand new. It's part of the reason why I wrote it down. Um, the last uh, Sunday of June, I mentioned that July, August, and September, uh, when my paycheck comes in, I just turn it over, endorse it, and give it back to St. William. Uh, I'm trying to underscore how every year this happens, uh, June, July, August, and September, at least 30% or more of our parish is gone on vacation. It could be a short trip, it could be a long trip, but they're away. Now, granted, some of you are just so thoughtful, so tremendous, you never miss. You never miss. Um, But then a lot of people, for different reasons, um, uh, miss, but they don't send anything in. So every year, June, July, August, and September, um, I do the uh, Father Paul version of Twister. I just twist myself into a knot, trying to figure out how we're going to pay our bills. Then October 1st um, comes around and everybody returns. It takes us a while to get back up to speed after four months of over 30% gone. By the time we get back on our um, equilibrium, guess what happens? May ends and June begins. Can you imagine trying to run a business like that where four months out of the year, uh, over 30% of your people are gone? I can't. Anyway, you get the idea. So um, this is my attempt to put my money where my mouth is. Um, I've never done this before in 25 years as a priest, but it seems like a good way to get the attention. Um, As I mentioned last week, there's a difference between urgent and desperate. Something is urgent, let's get on it. If if we're not uh, tending to things, urgent can quickly become desperate. You want a good example? Look at the border between Texas and Mexico. It's desperate. You know why? It was urgent, and so many people decided to do zero about it. Well, now it's desperate. Get away from me. Get away from me. If somebody wants things to go from urgent to desperate, uh uh-uh. There are some people whose lives are like this all the time. I am not like this. And most of you are not. So bringing it to your attention, so many people have said, Father, I'm glad you said something. We didn't know. How would you know? So there you go. So do what you can. Some people are are unable, because of their circumstances, they're unable to give anything. Then you will pray, and you and your family should pray for those who are supporting the parish. That's what's said on page 8. Page 8 has been in this bulletin every week since October of 2013. So if someone says this is brand new, I guess you're just not reading the bulletin. Um, the, um, but um, here it is. Do what you can, and we're going to do just fine. So that's it in a nutshell. Okay, That's it in brief. Okay, now for the homily. Right there in the middle of the gospel, Jesus said, Uh, To the man who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. From the man who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. If you actually read that, it's like, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. Um, You tell it to him. He's the one who said it. Well, Well, who does he think he is? 
Yeah, he does think he's God. We believe he is God. And he's the one who said it. He said, to the one who has, more will be given and he will grow rich. And to the man who doesn't, who has little, what little he has will be taken away from him. And um, uh, uh, Jesus is telling us straight up. Now, I want to um, I want to show how what you see on the cover of your bulletin uh, from 1794 is parallel to what you find in, for example, the story of Fatima. This is Fatima for today. It came out a few years ago. It's a great book. Look, it's not a phone book. It's not a pamphlet either. It's reasonable. And if you have Kindle, that's even cheaper there. They're almost giving it away on Kindle. Fatima for Today by Father Andrew Apostoli. Um, And this is the most up-to-date book um, on Fatima. It has stuff from Pope Benedict um, uh, on back. A lot of things that were written 40, 50 years ago. Um, Pope Benedict was just a priest or um, a monsignor. So anyway, this is a great book. Pope Benedict said on May the 13th, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, seven years ago, that the message of Fatima is the most important message for a modern man. So on this day, um, on this day, July 13th in 20, sorry, in 1917, Our Lady appeared to the children for the third time, just as she promised. So let's start with the, uh, this example on the cover of the bulletin. As you can read over here, um, here's a book you can, um, you can get. Or if you want to, you can just see the movie, The Dialogues of the Carmelites. Some people will never read a book. So here's a movie, great movie, um, great book. Uh, and it's about these 16 sisters. Um, but I want to I back up. Um, a hundred years before these 16 sisters were killed by the French Revolution. Uh, just outside of Paris, their convent, um, the uh, Carmelites had this convent, and they, they had a young woman who asked permission to live with them. She wasn't a sister, she wasn't a Carmelite sister, but she had some very difficult health issues. She had many disabilities. And the Carmelite sisters let her live with them, and they were able to help take care of her. Um, something happened. Something happened. The uh, something happened to my timer here. The um, there we go. The um, something happened to um, the young lady one night. She had a dream. She had a bad dream, and she um, she woke up the next morning and she told the sisters what had happened. Um, she um, so this is this is a hundred years before 1794. This was her dream. She saw sister after sister dressed as Carmelites. She saw them going up, and they were being executed one after another after another. This would be like shooting Bambi, shooting the Easter Bunny, right? Who in the world would want to execute a Carmelite sister? And not just one or two, a bunch. Um, but what the sisters did was they, they wrote it all down, like good Carmelite sisters. Very beautiful penmanship, right? They, uh, they're always getting us about, uh, onto us for not writing clearly. But anyway, they wrote it down and they put it in the file of the convent. And over a hundred years, every once in a while, one of the sisters, one of the mother superiors would take out that file and read it to the sisters 
and they would all pray about it and think about it, and they'd put it back in the file. So uh, July 14, 1789, when the French Revolution began, uh, everything began breaking loose. Oh, it went from bad to worse. So many, so many, um, um, so many in the church were dragged out and killed. Now the sisters, um, just east of Paris, they were in their convent. Now Carmelite sisters, one by one, they go into a convent so they can do this. So they can, they can spend the rest of their life praying and making small, medium, and big sacrifices for all of us in the world. That's why they go in there. Nobody forces them. They're called to go into the convent like that. They're like the Marines. They're the, um, they're the, the ones who really uh, take the hit in religious life. So these sisters were there in seven, you know, after the French Revolution started in 1789, and then this happened. Someone knocked at the door, and it was someone sent from the French Revolution. Essentially, they said to the sisters, you're free. You can leave. The, the glorious French Revolution has freed you. You can now leave. You can imagine the sisters saying in a very, very nice voice, thank you. Please close the door and leave. We want to stay inside. Oh, no, no. no. The French Revolution, they, they, they made them get out. You see, they, they wanted them to get out so they could be free. But that also meant they could now sell the convent and everything inside to somebody else so it could go to government. The... Um, Things change, but oh, how they stay the same. Well, anyway, so for a handful of years, the sisters are in limbo. They're not allowed to wear their their habits. They have to beg clothes from people in Compiègne. Um, but it gets around to where July 16th, July 16th, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, um, the Mother Superior is in Paris, um, and she's in court. And the judge says that uh, Mother Superior and the other 15 on the following day are to go, are to be sent to the guillotine and they are to be executed for being Carmelites. The, um, the, the sister did what you and I would do if such a sentence was handed down to us. The mother, the mother Superior rejoiced. She rejoiced. You see, she recognized that on the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, they were Carmelites. They were being sentenced to, to, to give the greatest harvest that God could ask of anyone. Uh, you see, those sisters, those sisters had been thinking about that dream that the young woman had a hundred years earlier. And for years now, on a daily basis... Those who desired, those who wished, nobody was forced to do it. They would make a, they would make a, a promise that if God wanted to lead them to give their lives, to lay down their lives um, in one form or another, they would follow the Lamb of God wherever he led them. So on July 17th, um, through the streets of Paris, the, the wagon slowly made its way to the guillotine. Normally, the people in the wagon would be would be shaking and crying, and they or they would be in a coma. Um, these sisters, dressed in their habits, they put their they put their habits they had their habits on. They were going through the streets of Paris, and they were singing full throated the Psalms 
beautiful psalms with joy. They were joyfully going to their wedding banquet to meet Jesus, the bridegroom. Beautiful. Anyway, you can read the the book or you can watch the movie and you will see a parallel from 1794 in France to 1917 in Fatima, Portugal. You see, the world in 1794 thought that 16 women inside of a convent were, well, 16 equals zero. Um, 16 women, 16 nuns, Carmelites, they don't do anything. They're just taking up space. Um, uh, Three children in Fatima, ages 10, 9, and 7. Cousins, cousins, right? Um, And on July 13th, today is the anniversary, July 13th, 1917, almost 100 years ago, the children were given a series of images. Now today, everyone here has seen a movie or a TV program, so we see images all the time. Think about the children who TV wasn't invented. Movies were not invented. They had no radio. So these children were, were they, first of all, they were very young, they were very poor, and they were out in the middle of nowhere. And Our Lady appeared to them, this is the third time, and she gave them a series of images. Eventually, the children would write down what they saw, and they would put some of what they saw into an envelope. It was considered one of the secrets of Fatima. One of the secrets of Fatima. Um, the, uh, this would eventually make its way to the local bishop with instructions to send it to the Pope. Eventually, the Pope would get it, um, and Pope after Pope knew the envelope was there. Some of them opened it and looked inside, read it, put it back. Others never read it. Um, John Paul II. John Paul II, um, on May 13, 1981, um, someone tried to kill him in front of St. Peter's Basilica, right? And he was in the hospital. And he nearly died. And um, while he was recovering, he, um, he sent someone over there to that office to get that envelope because he had never read it. He had been Pope since 1978. Kind of reminds you of that old commercial. I could have had a V8. Um, I could have read this letter uh, since in, in 1978 or 1979 or 1980 or 1981. But he didn't. But he read it in his hospital bed. And I bet his face turned as white as his cassock. Right? This is what the children wrote down. This is what the children saw in 1917 on this date. Um, and um, they said, We saw a great light, an immense light, which is God. And something similar to how people appear when they're in a mirror, when they pass in front of it. So they kind of saw kind of like, we call it a dream sequence, right? That's how the, the movies would portray it, right? So they, um, what did they see? They saw a bishop dressed in white. We had the impression that this was a Holy Father. This is 1917. Pope John Paul II had not yet been born, right? Uh, 1917, Deacon Ismail was a teenager, right? So um, anyway... We saw a bishop dressed in white. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father. 
Other bishops, priests, men and women, religious, so that would be brothers and sisters in religious life, um, were going up a steep mountain. At the top of the mountain, there was a huge cross made out of huge timbers. Okay? So they're going up this steep mountain. And as they go up the steep mountain, they're going through a half-ruined city. The city is just in, in ruins. Um, so, um, and, the, and the Pope is having a difficult time. He's trembling. He's got a halting step. He's afflicted with pain and sorrow. He prayed for the souls of the corpses he met on the way. Having reached the top of the mountain on his knees at the foot of the big cross, he was killed. He was killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him. And in the same way, um, there he died. There died one after another, other bishops, priests, men and women, religious, various lay people of different ranks and positions. Friends, think of little kids who, who couldn't probably find Italy on a map. Um, these kids, ages 10, 9, and 7, they'd never been to school before. And they're being shown all of this. You know, kind of like what Jackie Gleason used to say, humana, 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 right? What do, they, what do they know? It's like, what, what did we just see? Ah, ah, right? So they wrote it all down. When um, Pope Benedict wrote about that secret, um, and he was there at the side of John Paul II in 1981, but later on as Pope, he wrote about this secret too. He said, what the children saw was not, oh, look, Look into the crystal ball. This is exactly what's going to happen. No, the Pope said, this is what could happen. And what, the, what John Paul II said, and Benedict said, and Pope Francis has said, if you look at all the centuries since the birth of Christ to this very day, the 20th century is the most bloody century in the history of the world. More more bishops, priests, men and women, religious, died. More lay people died because they were Christians than any other, all the other centuries put together. Well, that makes sense because there were more people in the 20th century than had ever lived before. You get the idea. Now, here's, what, here's another part of what the children were being told on July 13th, that their insignificant prayers their little prayers and their little sacrifices, if they, if, they, if they offer them to God, could bring peace to the world. The way the sisters' prayers, they offer them to bring peace to, to France and make reparation to God for all the offenses against his church. The children of Fatima in 1917 were being told that you can offer your sacrifices and your prayers as insignificant as three children are, ages 10, 9, and 7. Um, you can offer them and they will be heard. There is no one here who could say, if, if the sisters could understand this in France, if the three children could understand this in Portugal, and I don't understand it, doesn't pass the sniff test, does it? No, 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 no. I, I don't believe that. I'm, I don't, my. Oh, look at no me. I'm, I'm just so insignificant. There is no such thing as insignificant. Um, and, and and God wants us to do it in such a way that we produce 
that we produce a great harvest. These sisters, these sisters knew that they could, they might be called to offer their lives in an ultimate ultimate sacrifice. But that mother superior, um, like most women, they drive with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, right? That's why they burn out their brakes so often. (laughs) The the women aren't laughing. Uh, Anyway, the... um, uh, that mother superior was really, really wanting to offer her life, but she kept that foot on the brake because they were not going to just run and offer themselves. Here, kill, kill us. Kill us. We'll, we'll die for the faith. No, no. The mother superior wanted it to happen that if God willed it, it would happen that way. And if they were to give their lives, they would do it joyfully. And... Two of the three children died about a year, year and a half after these um, visits finished. Sister Lucia became a Carmelite sister, and she only died, what, in the last ten years or so? And she lived as a Carmelite sister in Spain. Friends, this is what God is telling us. Um, Oh, yeah, I can do it, and you can do it. No, I don't want sacrifice. I don't want to be bothered with sacrifice for peace in the world. We know that everything in the world, just fine. No problems. I saw it on the news. Oh, right, sure. Um, No, the world is is so messed up in so many ways. Um, um, There are so many people at war. So many people are hurting. My prayers... Your prayers, my sacrifices, your sacrifices, to him are not insignificant. When we join our prayers and our sacrifices to his perfect prayer, his perfect sacrifice, he cannot refuse them. This is the message of Fatima. This is July 13th. It's almost 100 years ago. And we can see a beautiful parallel between these martyrs, these blessed martyrs of France, and these beautiful children in Fatima. Um, God's telling me, he's telling you, to the man who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. And the man who has not, what little he has, will be taken away. And what is what kind of harvest does Jesus want to see for me and you? He wants to see a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. In the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit.